You're listening to Your Financial Planner Now What, the podcast to help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to episode 75. For today's episode, we have Dr. Martin C. on the show with us. He's a CFP and a professor at Kansas State University in their financial planning program. Martin won the Montgomery Warshower Award with Sarah Esbito on their paper titled, From Functioning to Flourishing, Applying Positive Psychology to Financial Planning. The award was issued last year by the Journal of Financial Planning for the paper that provided the most outstanding contribution to the betterment of the financial planning profession. Martin joins us today to talk about positive psychology and financial planning and how financial planners like you can use it to lower your client's stress and help them thrive in their financial and personal lives. Here's Hannah. Well, thanks for being with us today, Martin. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us what is positive psychology? So I'm going to read you a definition, uh, and I I want to read it directly. I apologize for that, but I think it's pretty powerful. Uh, So positive psychology is the scientific study of the strengths that enable individuals and communities to thrive. The field is founded on the belief that people want to lead meaningful and fulfilling lives, to cultivate what is best within themselves, and to enhance their experiences of love, work, and play. To me, that's a pretty powerful uh, statement. Uh, It's about allowing people to thrive by building on strengths and enhancing experiences of love, work, and play. That sounds a lot like financial planning to me. You, you mentioned the assumption that that was based on that people want to thrive in life. What are the other assumptions that people base different, like, different psychological theories on? Yeah, so uh, positive psychology is sort of an evolution um, in, in psychology. Traditional psychological theories, psychology itself is more focused on there's some sort of deficit or disorder, or maybe something's wrong. And we're trying to address that and pull somebody back to functioning. And what makes positive psychology unique is it says, well, there's more to life beyond that functioning. And let's take those people that are, are well-adjusted, that are happy and are, that are performing well, but maybe they could be better off. Maybe there's a way to raise them to a higher level of well-being to allow them to, to flourish. Obviously, we can see the tie over to financial planning, but how have you seen this applicable to financial planners? Or maybe a better question is, have you seen financial planners starting to incorporate this into into their practice? Well, I think the whole framework that's used with clients has really evolved over time. I think we talk a lot more with clients um, without even knowing it, without even thinking about positive psychology. We talk a lot more with clients about goal achievement and finding out what what really makes them happy and understanding we're not financial planners to help them have more money. I mean, that's obviously great, but money uh, for most people uh, is a means, not an end. And as financial planners are having conversations uh, around surrounding goals, surrounding life planning has many um, aspects that tie into uh, what positive psychology would say. But the whole conversation has shifted uh, away from satisfying, maybe it's an insurance need, uh, maybe it's what's that uh, dollar amount I need to have for retirement to what does retirement look like? Um, how do I thrive in that? How do I support uh, my clients uh, through that conversation? So it's the whole framing surrounding financial planning has really changed in a way that speaks directly to positive psychology. So one of the things we talk about a lot on the podcast is, you know, what is financial planning versus what it is not. So if we're doing positive psychology, I mean, does that really, if you're having these conversations with your clients, does that really land you in that financial planning camp? I'd certainly, I'd certainly think so. I mean, there are a lot of elements around what makes a good 
a good financial planner. And there are a lot of different ways to practice it. But at the end of the day, uh, financial planning is really about holistically understanding the client and moving them to meet their goals. And if you're doing positive financial planning, that is financial planning through the lens of positive psychology, uh, I think you have to be doing that comprehensive uh, financial planning. And I also think it's really sort of the the next level, the the evolution, the future where we can, uh, and a lot of people already are already doing this. The strength is the scientific grounding, uh, which, which I could talk a little about more later, but uh, we're already doing this and that we are taking people to that next level. We're going past the financial advice, going past the, um, the, the product selection to fill a need to really uh, providing opportunities for fulfillment. One of the terms that you coined in your paper was positive financial planning. And I thought that was a really great way of kind of bringing them together. Um, but it's how much time does this take for an advisor? I mean, that's kind of, you know, when I hear these things and, and I spend quite a bit of time with my clients, but I know other people don't. Is this something that can be incorporated efficiently or is it something that just requires time to do, to do it well? So I yeah, that's that's a really good question, and it's a really good point. There's always um, a cost to a, a planner for using something extra. It's got to be worth the time. It's got to be worth uh, uh, worth the effort. And I think so. I think a lot of what positive psychology offers is not necessarily additional work. It's just the lens through which you communicate with your clients. You establish the relationship, and you communicate about the value that you are uh, providing to them. So many of the circumstances would just be slightly altering the conversation in ways that connect. But one of the easy ways uh, that you could do this is there are a number of questionnaires out there. And so there's a questionnaire, the theory we talk about in the paper is well-being theory. Um, and it talks about positive emotion, engagement, relationship, meaning, and accomplishment. There's a 23-question survey that you can use, you can provide to an individual, and you can get a really easy, uh, this, once again, this is free, uh, you can get a really good understanding of where they're at mentally, where they're experiencing uh, happiness and where maybe there's shortcoming, where they need a little bit of help. But what's more powerful is when you do your annual checkup, how about you ask those questions again? And then you not only see where they are today, but you see how they've changed since last year. And very easy to have that conversation as you start your, your meeting Hey, so it, it looks like you're 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 down a little bit and feeling meaning of life. Is there is there something is there something going on? Is there something I can help you with? Very easy conversation starter that really allow you to connect with the mental state that your clients are in. Okay, okay. So you know, I, I love this psychology of financial planning, but where are where does where's the line between our role as financial planner versus like financial therapist? Sure, sure, and so. You have to be very careful. You need a license to practice therapy, and there are inten there's intensive training that's required to do that. So you you can't operate as a therapist. Although I know financial planners often feel like uh, feel like they do. I would view this more as a, a lens to guide your conversations and understand what's going on in a client's head, as opposed to uh, providing a lens through which for you to provide therapy and and change uh, uh, them, themselves. Uh, but it is it is important, uh, and it is important that uh, you don't overstep uh, your bounds and get into places where you could be um, practicing therapy. So, you know, as I said, I, I well, I like to think I do some of this work with clients, but 
have there been any studies or anything besides like anecdotal, you know, examples of where this has helped positively? Like, is there any quantifying how this actually helps clients in practice or is that kind of the next steps? So there is evidence in other, in other domains. And so I'll, I'll share a little bit of that. Right now, we're working hard on, on following up the next steps. And I, I have to make sure that I mention um, Sarah Acevedo. She was a graduate student at uh, Kansas State. She's now a professor at Texas Tech. And she's uh, one of the ones that spearheaded this. And we would, wouldn't be here without her. So I wanted to make sure to give her a shout out. But let's talk about um, why. Uh, research that does exist, and it's not necessarily in a client setting yet, but why is it important to facilitate this well-being? Well, uh, positive emotions, um, those that feel positive emotions are, and this, it's important to think about what comes first. Those that have positive emotions are then more likely to earn more money and they're more likely to succeed at work. Those that have positive emotions are more likely to exhibit willpower and self-control over unhealthy urges. They're more likely to save money. They're more likely to have a preference for the future. They're more likely to stay out of debt. And they're more likely to take time before making significant decisions. So there's real impact there and carry over to the financial planning lens. Uh, so until we get to applying financial uh, uh, positive financial planning in, a, let's say, more of a clinical setting to really see the benefits, I think there's really strong evidence there that this would um, help financial planners. One of the things is I was reading through your paper uh, that kind of stuck out to me is, you know, there's a lot of programs out there right now. So like the kinder, you know, his three questions, you have sudden money, you have money quotient. How did those factor into um, into this idea of positive psychology? So I'd filter back to uh, Dave Yeske and I'd filter back to um, evidence-based financial planning. And if we're going to move forward, uh, our financial planning practices need to be based in scientific research and scientifically validated, uh, let's say, theories or perspectives. Uh, so I think it's I think they're fantastic. I think they're amazing. They provide amazing value to clients and they do really good things. I think one of the things that we're trying to do, though, is uh, develop uh, develop positive financial planning from established academic work. Um, take what we know in academia and apply it to planners. And certainly there's a lot to be learned from what planners do. But let's say that we can provide you scientific evidence that if you communicate with clients in this way, you're going to have X better outcomes. They're going to, uh, whether it's save more, whether it's goal achievement, whether it's they're going to be more satisfied um, in life, you pick the financial planning outcome. But I think that's where we're trying to go. It's not that um, we're that any of those models are, are, are wrong. I think they provide tremendous value, but let's go ahead and ground those in, uh, in academic theories uh, and, and filter from there. And I wanna be clear at the end of the day, there won't just be one model. There's gonna be some models that work better uh, for some planners, their communication styles, the way they work with individuals. And there's gonna be some communication methods that work better with uh, different types of clients. You know, the engineer that wants to focus on the numbers probably isn't, it's not gonna really uh, click with him if you try to talk to him about the soft side. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But ideally, what we'll do, let's say at Kansas State or another academic program is we'd be able to train students in several different uh, communication styles or methodologies to work with clients. And we'd be able to communicate to them, hey, this is the type of client this works for, and this is what it does. Or these are the type of scenarios where you might want to operate through this lens uh, based on, uh, as Dave Yeske would say, evidence. 
that's a whole uh feels like a whole different world than maybe everything we study for the CFP exam. Sure. Well, you know, uh, the CFP exam is focused on a lot of content. You got to know that content to be a financial planner, but uh, applying that content in real life scenarios is a is a very different thing. You know, we we talk about how it takes you three to five years of experience before you get comfortable working with clients. Well, the day uh, you uh, become a marriage and family therapist, you learn that in school. Uh, you learn how to work with clients in psychology. You learn how to work with clients in, in a number of different professions. And they have these theories and perspectives that get there. And I'm not saying that at the end of the day, financial planning is going to look like that, but we can sure emulate some of the things that work well for them, I think. When I was reading through, again, your paper, you talk about the importance of purpose and how we as financial planners can help our clients find purpose in their in their lives. That feels like a tall order. <laughs> um, I mean, especially, you know, younger planners working with older clients. You know. So how, how do you see financial planners helping clients find their purpose? So that's a really good question. And um, there is a balance between, uh, and I think what you're getting at is helping individuals find purpose that maybe don't have it, or helping people align their resources and their time with the purpose that they feel. I think many times with clients, if you ask them, they can tell you what it is that they really want to do, but they don't know if they can do it. They don't know if they have the resources. They don't know what's going on there. And so I'm not saying that uh, financial planners can have in-depth conversations to figure out the, you know, the, um, the hidden purpose in life that people don't know that they have, but they can work with clients to help them realize, hey, this is my purpose and I know this. This is what uh, makes me uh, feel like I'm I'm worthwhile. Well, what can we do to shape your life uh, in ways that would allow you to follow that purpose? Yeah, that's really interesting. And you know, as you're saying this, I mean, I'm I'm envisioning this is not one conversation. This is years of conversations. W- what are your thoughts? Yeah. So one of the techniques uh, that is used in some um, in, 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 in some therapy conversations uh, is, is scaling. And that's really understanding where people are now and then how they respond differently to different questions over time. And so I think it's really important. The real power from this is not set it and forget it. That is, let's understand where they are when they begin as clients and then we'll have a conversation and be done. I think where the power would come is if you understand and you measure what's going on in their in their mind, and I know you do this through conversations with your clients already, you check in with them, you ask what's going on, what's going well, what's um, if, if there's anything that um, is, is bothering them. But what about if you ask this, and from a sci- scientifically based um, method, you're able to say, hey, look, it looks like something's going, going on here. Is that real? Knowing that they've answered the questions before, and, and now it's dipped. Uh, that's telling you something if you can follow that over time. So I think this is, once again, it's a lens through which to have your conversations with, with, with clients. And it would be, it would be something that uh, to really have effectiveness, you would have to use with clients over time. You know, and one thing that I've found with clients and even myself personally is you don't have these conversations a lot in life. Um, You know, so to be able to have a place where it's just, this, these are the types of conversations I think is really powerful in itself. Well, what's your value proposition? If your value proposition is to help people align their investment portfolio, uh, 
well, the market's going to get pretty competitive really quick. But if your value proposition is to listen to people, um, understand what they really care about and help them to meet their goals. And uh, I think we flow back to what, when you were asking about what's comprehensive financial planning or what is financial planning. I think part of that lens is there. And this is just another tool to facilitate facilitate you on. So some things take time, but maybe it's worthwhile. Another concept from your paper was you talked about developing optimism. And what surprised me was that it's it was you suggest that closing the gap between advice and action can actually be rooted in optimism. Can you speak more to that? Yeah, so it's it's really interesting. The dip is the, the disposition of a client when advice is given really matters. So let me talk about some research that Sonia Britt did and then I'll get to optimism. So Sonia Britt, who's a faculty member at Kansas State, she did some research and she uses uh, it's it's biomarkers. So she understands people's temperature and their temperature is actually pretty reflective of their stress level. And so what her research has shown is that if an individual is more stressed when advice is given, they're less likely to follow that advice three to four months later. If they are less stressed when advice is given, they are more likely to have followed that advice. So that's clear evidence that the state in which the client is um, from, from a stress standpoint, which by the way, there's a lot of information out there about how you can affect a client's stress level in a meeting. It's going to lead to different, different actions, um, better outcomes for that, for that client. Related to optimism, uh, optimism, it's really about the explanatory style. Uh, we provide uh, an example in the paper that's talking about uh, market performance. And let's say it's been down and the explanatory style for why an individual would say the market is down can really lead to different interactions. So uh, an optimist, uh, let's say in cases of, of a down thing, would say, hey, the market was down last year, uh, but it can probably go up um, in, in, in the future. It's just it was an off year. A pessimist would say markets are down. They're never going to go up again. Well, you can understand as a planner how the what they would ask you to do would be very different depending on that explanatory style. Is it a transient thing? I think everything's it will go up again in the future or is it pessimistic? Now, certainly that doesn't mean you need to ignore your valuations of markets and things like that. But in terms of the mental state the client is in, that will, that will lead to different, uh, different advice. It also leads to uh, another issue besides the permanence, which is, is this temporary or does it last forever, is pervasiveness. And um, that would have to do with, um, is this uh, something that's going to be universal or specific? Is it that, hey, stocks were just risky um, last year, or is that investments are risky uh, overall? And lastly would be personalization. Um, if an optimist would say, yeah, markets went down, but that happened sometime, a pessimist would say, I made poor investment decisions, I, I screwed I screwed up. And uh, it'd be the reverse in the case of, of bad events. But understanding that optimism, and it's very clear, there's very clear evidence that you can develop optimism with working with an individual can lead to uh, those different outcomes. So I feel like I need a master's degree right now to work with clients. <laughs> so let me, so like, a really easy takeaway. So like if we want to start applying this tomorrow, so basically what I'm hearing you say is that we can reframe, like when we hear our clients say something to us that is in that, um, that state where, you know, the markets, the markets are just always down or, you know, in that we can reframe that for our clients and that's going to help. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? So we share this and planners say they do it without knowing it. So if you're, if you're trying to change the disposition, it's called 
sorry to, to, uh, to go back to maybe a master's degree, but it's the ABCED -E -E pattern of behavior. And that is something happens, maybe it's the stock market goes down. That's the adverse event, the belief, hey, the market's bad, I'm never gonna be able to do anything. The consequence, I don't wanna be in the market in, uh, anymore. Where you come in as the planner is the disposition, uh, disputation and energized stage. That is, hey, you know, I know the market went down last year, but it's not true that the market is always bad. Let's talk about what's happened in the past. And through that conversation, you can get the client to realize, yeah, you know, maybe it was just last year. It's not all time. Overall, through my working career, the investments have gone up. And then you can energize. That's the E on the end of that and say, uh, you know, I know markets were down last year. But let's think about your goals and let's look at what's happened in the past. And I think that if we stick with this, we can really get that. So where the financial planner comes in is the disputation and energize, where you can say, I understand you have that belief, but let's really think about where that comes from. Is it right or wrong? If not, then let's figure out what we can go from there. Is that any simpler? It is. <laughs> Thank you. Well, and even as you're saying this, I mean, I can even see... I mean, I have several clients right now that are just kind of difficult. And I'm like, you know, maybe I need to write this out, this activating belief. What do they believe? You know, the activating event, what is their belief? What is the consequence? I mean, I feel like it's almost like worksheet format. You know, I think I, 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 it may not make sense when I keep on saying lens, but what if a client comes up with this and instead of just saying, I don't know what the heck they're thinking, you think, okay. So maybe they're being a pessimist here and maybe they're just putting too much attention on what happened last year. So let's think about this disputation and energize. And it may be that you write it down when you get to, to real things and do that early on. But long term, it's just a lens for thinking about it. When a client presents something, try to understand where that's coming from, uh, reframe, dispute and, and move and move forward. So you've been seeing financial planners implementing this in their practices. Um, what has been the feedback that you've gotten from planners about your paper and kind of what you proposed and outlined? So I think the feedback has been really positive. I think uh, where, what the concern is, is really getting down to those actionable steps. You're, you have a lot of clients who are trying to run a business, especially, let's say, the next-gen folks who might be listening to this. You've got a lot of things to focus on as you try to move forward. And I think the, the feedback would be do the best you can as you move forward and try to improve every day. And, um, better is is better, and don't worry about if it's not the the, the best. If you're constantly getting better, um, but I, I think I think I come down to uh, people seem to really like this. I think they're still um, trying to figure out exactly how best to implement, um, how best to do this. I mean, the the simple ways where you can uh, where, where you can really move people are with something like um, a gratitude visit. That is an individual that. Um, let's say is in retirement uh, and is um, in, let's say, the retirement uh, doldrums as they've gone through, challenge them to go out and find somebody that's really contributed to their life and have them write a letter to that person uh, explaining why they've been important and what, uh, what they've done that's um, helped them. Uh, that mental exercise, and after that, you require them to go, you ask them to go and present and read that letter to the person. It's going to psychologically move them to a place from retirement doldrums to, well, there's some really cool things, and I have some good relationships here that I can value on. So as we come up with more exercises like that that are directly implementable, I think that's going to help. 
And, you know, one thing I just want to add, you know, because I do a lot of every client meeting, I try to do some exercise like this, if you would, before every client meeting. And I know a lot of people are really concerned that it doesn't fit or like clients will be resistant to it. And what I found is if the advisor is very comfortable with it, then the client becomes very comfortable with it. It's going to take time, right? Uh, you've you've got to figure out what works for you. And I think I'd also say at the end of the day, I hope there are 10 other methods that you can use in working with clients that if your personality, if, if you're Hannah Moore and you connect with people and you um, and feel comfortable with the soft stuff, you can use something like positive psychology. If you're somebody else and emotions um, don't speak to you, there's other ways that you that you can do this. There's not going to be one right way to to communicate with a client and that's going to go back to the advisor strength and that's going to go back to the client perspective. One of the ideas is, you know, in order to take a client through life planning, you need to have done life planning yourself. So for somebody who's kind of looking at this and just kind of curious about what it would look like engaging their clients this way, maybe a good step is to start doing it themselves. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so that's that's a really good point. So uh, the exercises specifically or things like that, you should try it first. Understand the, uh, the mental process that you go through. One of the things that I do when I talk about this is I share my scores um, from the tests that I ask people to provide clients related to the, the positivity that I feel in my life, related to engagement, related to purpose. Um, and show, look, it's important to reflect on how this would affect you. If you go to somebody else and you haven't gone through it yourself, it is going to be hard to make that connection. So I think that's great advice. And that's why psychologists have to go through um, psych psychological evaluation or they have to go, they have to meet with psychologists themselves before they're allowed to practice. You got to, got to practice what you preach. So in your paper, which is great, and everybody listening needs to read this paper, um, you do several case studies. Could you walk us through the case study with Tom and Adrian? Sure. So Tom and Adriana, in this case study, what we, what we try to do with these is just provide examples that financial planners might relate back to their practice. And it's always hard with case studies, but for Tom and Adriana, what we tried to do was a new client. Uh, and we were going through the onboarding process. So we don't know a lot about them. And so part of the onboarding process, along with collecting all their financial information, um, we uh, wanted to understand a little bit about them. So in our conversations, what we found out is they were a busy couple. Uh, they were dual learning, married um, with, with children. And as we know, that can cause stress. And they found that they were fighting a lot about money. But what's surprising is they didn't really have money problems. Uh, but they were receiving gifts from Adriana's parents on a, on a regular basis. And so uh, as they went, uh, as the financial planner interacted with Tom and Adriana, they did a couple of different uh, things. They went through a developing optimism exercise. What they felt uh, in the couple's arguments was that Tom specifically was uh, too negative, uh, that he said, well, we're always fighting about this. Um, and it wasn't reality. They did have arguments about it. But if they went back to the permanence and the frequency thing, you saw, well, there were some tensions there, but it wasn't as big um, as you thought. We went to the gratitude visit where they were feeling stressed because they were receiving this money and making sure they were using it the right way. But maybe they didn't actually uh, want the money. They needed to have that independence. So the gratitude visit was to go and visit with the parents and thank them for the money and try to process through and filter through whether they wanted that uh, money or not. 
Um, so just a couple of different ways, a couple of different client scenarios where it might be possible to go through some of these exercises and tease out the major stressors that they're going through and allow the client to see uh, where the stress is coming from and, and alleviate with that a little bit. And hopefully that's <laughs> right about the case study. <laughs> Well, and I think it's such a realistic example. I mean, I think most advisors have had clients come in and they're, they sense that tension and that argument about money. Um, sometimes they come just to have that third party perspective. So I think that's great how you're applying it uh, to, to actual people. Well, and think about Brad Klontz, right? So money scripts, positive psychology, none of this should operate in isolation. So the money scripts things that, that Klontz does in terms of your relationship with money and how you view it. With couples is a really big deal and you get to huge tensions when they view view money differently. So um, it's not just positive psychology. There's a lot of really, really good stuff out there. If somebody wanted to just have one takeaway that they could start implementing tomorrow, what would you suggest? Is there is there one thing that they can do to just start practicing or working on um, to help them be better in the positive financial planning space? At the end of the day, I think all that I, I would suggest people do is really think about what are they trying, what value are they trying to add for their client? Um, and if it's extra alpha, if it's uh, something like that, that's absolutely, it's absolutely fine. Uh, but if it's to make them happier, if, if it's to make them more successful in retirement, uh, then think about a little bit about what's going on in their head and ways you can support that and looking at different um, practices, different scientific methods that are out there to, to really help you along. Why should you have to struggle to figure it out yourself? So what's next for you or what's next for the financial planning research related to positive psychology? I think the future of research is, uh, this is a John Grable who's at the University of Georgia. He actually challenged researchers uh, the, uh, last February to come up with manuals for financial planning. That is uh, distinct approaches that you could train other people to use um, and then to test those manuals. That is, instead of saying, well, it takes 30 years of, of client experience to figure it out, let's distill that wisdom um, into, into, into a manualized approach so that a young planner can cheat, um, that they can take that experience um, and, and go from there, and they'll start at a lower threshold. So I think the future is developing these different approaches that we try to actually write down um, and then quantify and evaluate um, how they how they work, so that there might be a pretty broad perspective, a large task, pretty broad. But if we're talking about financial planning, uh, my goal is to lower my students' learning curve. That is, they can graduate uh, year one and be pretty well equipped to handle client meetings, be pretty well equipped uh, to understand uh, some of the dynamics that might be going on in uh, in, the, in a client's life, and of course, have the technical knowledge to apply and help them out. And so finally, as we wrap up, do you have any advice to the new planners who are listening to this podcast right now? Uh, it, it is really hard to find the firm with the right fit, with the right perspective, uh, to build clients, to learn the practice, to do everything. So just try to get better every day. Uh, try to establish relationships. If you can establish relationships at work and with your clients, everything's going to work out. In, in the long run. Don't get so stressed that you uh, lose, lose sight of that. We hope you enjoyed the interview and that you're as excited as we are to see research and planning going in the same direction. 
Just as a reminder, be sure to join us in the FPA Activate Facebook group and stay tuned for episode 76 for a great episode on serving millennials. As always, thanks for listening.